0: Welcome, everyone. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. Please stand with us as we praise the Lord.
1: Praise the Lord for our praise team and just an incredible job that they've been doing these last three weeks. So very excited that God has already had here some uh, incredible talent to, to lead us in worship and bringing his family along. This is Steban, his sister, and his dad over there on guitar. It's a beautiful thing to watch a family do ministry together. If you have bulletins, I just want to draw your attention just a couple of things in there. Uh, this coming Sunday, is going to be first Sunday... And we got something special for y'all. We're doing a big breakfast in the morning. It's beginning at 8.30. I'd encourage you to come here, eat a big meal, enjoy fellowship with one another. This is also going to be, uh, uh raising money for, uh, for, this is a uh, pancake fundraiser for the ladies, I believe, a women's ministry. Uh, do that so that you can give blood right immediately afterwards. <laughs> so you'll, you'll have your uh, body full of syrup and sugars. All kinds of good stuff. very, very excited uh, to be able to partner with our community in this. Uh, I I share this often. Uh, I have a very special place in my heart for those who give blood. It takes uh, over 1,000 people to give blood for my wife to have one treatment uh, for her uh, immunoglobins. I don't even know what that means. But uh, she's had very successful um, uh, uh, results with that. And so thank you so much for those of you who give. Uh, we are going to do that this coming Sunday as well. So please come uh, with a full stomach. If your stomach isn't full, join us at the Pancake Breakfast. We'll take care of you. Uh, right there in the middle of your of your bulletin, you see, you see it says couples group. We just started this. It was, it, we didn't get very far because of how much fellowship we had that first meeting, getting to know each other. So if you didn't go, you haven't missed much. So let me encourage you come this this coming Tuesday, come meet us here in the youth room. And I'm telling you, I'm not sure if we laughed so much. In, I mean, I, my stomach, my cheeks were hurting because we were laughing so much. God has just wired the marriage relationship to be joyful, uh, to to be humorous, and also be very serious. God has uh, given us a, a uh, the plan. He's given us the floor plans, He's given us the... We don't have to guess as to how marriage is supposed to work. God designed it to be beautiful. He designed marriage to reflect his image. And so we're going to get to see that in a beautiful way, and we're going to laugh together. And so I would encourage you to come join us on Tuesday nights for the couples group. Uh, also, if you, um, if you didn't know, a couple of weeks ago we had a relaunch on Wednesday nights for Awana and for Youth Ministry. Uh, for youth, we had, uh, I don't know, over 40 students. Uh, show up to play laser tag. And uh, there was about seven, uh, seven students that responded to the gospel and saving faith. So praise the Lord for that. Uh, we're just so grateful that we get to be a part of what God is doing here at, at Calvary. And so if you have a student, a child that is uh, fifth grade and under, we encourage you to co- have, come have them be a part of Awana. Let them get the word of God written on the tablet of their heart. The whole thing is focused on memorizing scripture and understanding what those scriptures mean. And then if you have any uh, students from 6th to 12th grade, have them come to youth. We started a brand new series called The Fringe, talking about all things weird, strange, and mysterious, and does the Bible have anything to say about them. I'm telling you, it's interesting stuff. It is to make sure fear is not any part of your makeup. It's to make sure that fear is not any part of the makeup of your children. And I'm telling you, we can have boldness as we're walking with the Lord. And so I want to show them that in very interesting ways. If you have students 6th to 12th grade, I'd encourage you, get them into an environment of life change. Bring them here on Wednesday nights, and we would love to come alongside of you and sharing truth with them. Uh, at this time, would you turn around and say hello to somebody uh, shake their hand say, I'm so glad to see you here at Calvary."
0: I'm a priest.
1: death was indeed arrested. I praise you, God, so much. We praise you in this moment as our hearts are bowed before you. God, we pray these past few moments was just a declaration of our adoration to you, de- declaring your majesty, knowing the Lord is a surrendered heart to you. That is a sweet, sweet sound to your ear. I pray, Father God, we do just that. In these next few moments, as we get to hear from your word, I pray, Lord, that we surrender, knowing we have no life except for the life that you give us. Lord, it is our act of worship when we give ourselves, when we surrender ourselves over to you. He says to you he say to you through your word, Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice while we live, dying to ourselves, surrendering over to you. God, if there be anything in our heart that is separating us from you, I pray, God, we would lay that down. If we are harboring any unforgiveness, I pray, Lord, that we would recognize how much we've been forgiven ourselves, and we would lay down that bitterness. Father, if if you put your finger on an area of our our lives and say, I want that and I want that out. Because this is an obstruction between me and you. God, I pray we would lay that down. Father, open our hearts to receive that which you have for us. Open our ears to hear from you. It's a beautiful thing to know that you minister to us. You love us on an individual level. The Lord, we want to give all of our attention over to you. We love you, Father. I pray a special blessing, Pastor Terry. And I pray that you protect him and his wife as they're away. I pray, Lord, that we return home safely. Father, I lift up Pastor Mark to you. I know he's prepared a message for us. I pray, Lord, we prepare our hearts receive it god i thank you so much for our prayer warriors in the back of this room lord i pray that if you would put on anybody's heart in this room at any time during the service that they would feel free and have the boldness to go and commune with you with a brother or with a sister in christ at any time in the service that they would want to talk with you with one of our either in the quietness of their own chair or Speaking with one of our prayer warriors, I pray, Lord, we would have the boldness to do that. We love you, Father. We praise you. We do thank you in the precious name of our Savior. Amen. may be seated.
2: The people of God were stuck. For centuries, they lived as slaves to terrifying taskmasters whose cruelty was only exceeded by their power. In these dark days, God's people gave birth to children who would inherit nothing more than misery. Their strongest ally was a God whom they had assumed had forgotten them. Far from forgotten them. The people of God were rescued by the might of his hand. He put their masters to open shame and led them into the wilderness. Though they were set free, they weren't yet living free. They started to live as slaves to their own sin. What happened next reverberates for over 3,000 years of history to this current day. Like a loving, and patient father, God... Instructed his children, giving them the Ten Commandments.
3: Good morning. How many? How many thought of the Ten Commandments as a way of living free? Ah, yeah, Amen. We're in agreement. Whoever that was. <laughs> That's good. So uh, before we get into uh, the, the message this morning. I just want to, want to reiterate what, what Pastor Zeke just said It's so important to us. We have prayer partners in the back who are literally praying the entire service. And they're praying, not only praying for us and for this time, they're here to pray for you as well. So if you have a prayer request at any point in time, I'd rather you go talk to God than listen to me. So it's okay. Just get up and go back and speak to them. If the Holy Spirit begins to speak to your heart and there is a moment you need to reach out to God while you're hearing the message, do it then. Don't wait. Respond to the Spirit when He's speaking to you. So please, they're back there to pray with you. And, uh, and all through the service, you can do it during worship at any point in time. So, well, it's too late to do it during worship today, but hopefully we're worshiping now. All right. all right. So the second thing I want to mention, Pastor Zeke mentioned uh, that they're doing a special uh, um, series in the youth. And this week, this Wednesday, uh, there's going to be a special subject Um, is going to be on the subject of the watchers. So uh, um, if you, uh, the adults, will be able to sit in the back and listen because I'm going to be helping the youth out by talking about the watchers. Who are the watchers? They're in the Bible. If you didn't know they were in the Bible, they're actually in the Bible. Who are they? What are they about? I will give you one little commercial. They actually have something to do with our prayers. I'm just going to leave it there. If you want to find out, you have to come Wednesday night. Yeah, yeah, it's like what what do they have to do with our prayers check it out wednesday night so, um It's going to be a one-off is something a little different, uh than what we normally do. Um, all right So we're going through the ten commandments and today We're going to be talking about the 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 commandment thou shall not commit adultery and i'm calling it This it's bestowing a right to a family bestowing a right to a home so if we look at the ten commandments and uh, you, you look at the um, i'm gonna put the chart up there the ten commandments are broken into three different sections. Um, the first uh, commandments now if you count those you go that 's more than ten yeah because some of them get combined so uh, um, but anyway if the first The the first section are all about our intimacy and relationship with God. All about understanding we are His imagers. And we come into Sabbath. Sabbath is this transition in which Sabbath takes us from creation to recreation in Christ. We enter into His rest. And then the, the remainder of the commandments then, as God's imagers, how are we to relate to one another? How are we to demonstrate the image of God in us and recognize the image of God in everyone else? So instead of thinking about what we're not to do, what we, it's, it's thinking about what we are to do. As parents, we're to bring God imagers into this world and raise them up to image him. Uh, uh, as um, Not to kill means we are bestowing the right to life. Not to commit adultery means we're bestowing the right to a home. We're bestowing a right to property. We're bestowing a right to a reputation. And all these things come from the very heart. And notice, these are so important. They're very. They were spoken from the mouth of God directly. They are the foundation in the beginning of Scripture. It was from this place that Moses began to write and scribe for us the Scriptures. This is the beginning in the first place, the revelation of God Himself. So, from that perspective, we're going to jump in and we're going to talk about Thou shalt not commit adultery. You, we find it in Exodus chapter twenty, verse fourteen. It's also in Deuteronomy. I'm just quoting the, the Exodus version here. Now what is this all about? It's about marriage. It's about marriage. Marriage is literally the most intimate of human relations. Anybody have a problem with that? It's the most intimate of human relations. There is a um, there's a ministry out there I discovered. It's called Theology of the Bible. I mean Body Theology of the Body. Yeah, easier to, easier to say uh, to, to read than say. There is a ministry called Theology of the Body. And he made a statement, I was listening to one of his talks, and he made a statement, I've never heard it put this way before, and it's it's absolutely true, and it's absolutely amazing. He says this, the human body cannot be fully understood apart from marriage. We can't understand the human body apart from marriage. A man's body and a woman's body make no sense apart from one another. But if we see the light... Of a man's body and a woman's body, in light of each other, we literally discover the spousal meaning of the body. Our bodies were meant to exhibit this marriage relationship. Marriage is literally the consummation of creation. Now, I've got a bunch of scriptures in my notes Uh, And I put them in my notes. If anybody wants my notes, they can go back and read all the scriptures. I'm not going to go and necessarily read them all, but I put them there for somebody that wants them and can find them. But it says this. At the very end of creation, uh, uh, it says, A man shall leave his mother and father cleave to his flesh, and the two shall become one. Creation was not complete until Adam and Eve were both created and brought together in marriage. It made marriage, it made creation very good. Everything God did was good. He created light, it was good. He created the land, it was good. He created the plants, it was good. The fish and the birds, it was good. The trees, the, the animals, it was good. But after he created marriage, he says it's very good. Very good in marriage, we literally express the very being and image of God, how we are working out marriage is the working out of a self sacrificial love relationship, which by the way, is a very hard thing to do. You can laugh at that that's okay. In fact, you can turn to your spouse and say he 's talking about you, yeah, if you're bold enough this morning. <laughs> T.S. Lewis wrote about four kinds of love, and Bruce Wacke, in his book on Old Testament theology, says that fourth love, He says, this is, this, is, this is the love that's not selfish at all. You're, liberally, you're giving your entirety to the other person. That's the kind of love that, that can endure, because you're giving to the other person. You are not selfish. He says, he says I, I think a lot of times we get divorced because we're serving our own personal interests. We haven't got the concept that I'm literally bestowing something on another person the way Christ bestowed something on me. I'm bestowing something on them. I'm recognizing them as as an imager in the value of God, the value of Christ. If we understood that, that would keep our homes together. If we understood that, that would keep us from committing adultery. Marriage is literally the carrying out of the plan of God. How is that? It tells us in, in Genesis chapter 5 that Adam was created in the image of God. And he was told to fill and multiply the earth. And then, and then what it says is Adam had a son in his image We, when we have children, are literally creating God imagers. And it is God's intention to create God imagers all over this world for the flourishing of humanity. If you want to destroy earth, if you want to destroy humanity, if you want to destroy flourishing, destroy marriage and family. This is why God said, thou shall not commit adultery. It is so foundational to our existence. In marriage, we literally reflect the plan of God. (laughs) Think about this for a minute. This intimate relationship, this thing we struggle with and try to make work out, this thing we're wrestling with and daily, in and, in and out, we're, we're, we're trying to make life through this. It literally is a picture of God's plan. Paul says this in Ephesians. He says, look, he tells us all about marriage, how to have an intimate marriage, what it looks like, and how to reflect it and all that. And then he says, by the way, by the way, what this really is, is a prophetic picture of God's plan because Jesus intends to come back for his bride. And that's you and me. And so every day day we get to live out the prophecy of Jesus coming for his bride. You want to destroy God's plan and His image of his plan in this world? Destroy marriage. So what is adultery? Very specifically, adultery is sexual in- intimacy between a man and a woman where one of the two uh, where one of the two involved in that, in-, in that sexual intimacy are considered biblically covenanted in marriage with another person. So I say that, it's very specific why, because there are other things like polygamy and, and, well, polygamy can be, but uh, um, uh, uh, fornication and other things don't actually fall under. There are other places in the scripture that talk about them, but they don't actually fall under the guise of adultery. Adultery is literally breaking up a marriage. It's where somebody who is married is involved in this relationship. So it is about breaking up a home. It is about breaking up a marriage. It is about coming into that covenant relationship. All right, so what is marriage then? Biblically, what is marriage? Marriage is a lifetime covenant of companionship entered into before God by one man and one woman. That is a biblical definition of marriage. I love that definition. A lifetime covenant of companionship. Sometime we need to actually go into a study and see what that covenant, how important covenant is to God. But I'm just going to point out a couple of brief things on it. When that word companionship, what does it mean? That covenant of companionship. I would suggest to you it means two things from the scriptures. At least two things. Proverbs 2.17 says this. Who forsakes the companion of her youth... And forgets the covenant of her God. That companion of her youth is, is intimacy. Who forsakes the intimacy? That word in Hebrew is a reflection of intimacy. Who forsakes the intimacy of the one that she she covenanted with from from uh, from uh, 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 from her youth? And notice that that is a covenant from God. Notice that that is a covenant from God. Number two, companionship means permanency. Permanency. We're going to turn over to we're going to turn over to the Italian prophet Malachi, right? Being Sicilian, I'm I'm so I promise you he's Italian. I promise you. So uh, it's Malachi, and I know people are going. I always thought it was Malachi. It is Malachi. Um, verse thirteen, and this is the second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altars with tears and weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. The, Malachi is saying, look, here you are before the altar. You're bringing your offerings, you're bringing your sacrifices, and you're pouring yourself out in prayer. And, 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 and you're crying out to God to hear you and to answer you. And and it's saying, he no longer regards your prayer. He's no longer hearing you. Why? But what do you say? Why does, why, why does he not? Why doesn't he hear me? Why is he disregarding my prayer? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. That companion, that word there means permanency. She was permanent. You have ignored this. See, you all think that Peter said to the men, hey, God's not going to answer your prayers if you don't treat your wives with understanding. Where did Peter get it? He got it from Malachi. He didn't make that up. It was prophesied. If you are faithless to your wife, God's not going to hear your prayers. Why? Because that covenant is permanent. He did not, verse 15, he did not make them one with a portion of the spirit. Back up and say it again. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? Do you hear what he just said? Did you hear what he just said? He just said that God is involved in that covenant. When you walk forward and you make this covenant relationship with someone else, you have made it before God. You have made it with God. You're not just covenanting to that person. You're telling God. You're telling Heaven. I am intimately and permanently connected to this person. That's what the Scripture says. And what was what was the one God seeking? What was He seeking? Why why is this so important to Him? Why does He care? He's seeking godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Wow. Wow. See, it's the only way. Let me back up and say it this way. It is literally God's plan for flourishing on earth. All right, so this used to be considered primarily a a men issue or mostly a men issue. Traditionally, um, uh, more men are likely to be unfaithful in their marriages than women. The research of those that reported about 16% of adults will actually admit that they have been unfaithful in their relationships. Now that breaks down to about 20% of men and about 13% of women, but there's a trend that's going on in the country right now. For those under 30, it's actually 11% men and 10—I mean, 11% women and 10% men. This is something that's infected us everybody across the board, and culturally, it's becoming more acceptable. So what I'm going to do? I'm going to read an article, a story. This is a story from Psychology Today, and it tells the story about a, a woman. Um, Who was unfaithful in her marriage and she returns to her husband. And I think there's some lessons we need to take out of this. I think there's some things that we need to understand because who knows our culture needs the word of God. Every culture needs the word of God. This is the way it's been from the beginning. This is anything new. Why do you think Malachi is writing to Israel? Because they needed the word of God. This has been going on for thousands of years. But now the torch has been passed on to you and to me to carry that word now today in our generation. So let's look at it happening in our generation. What's going on? Some of this is going to be strong language, but I promise you it's not going to be anything stronger than we hear every day all the time. And if we can't talk about what's going on around us in culture, where are we going to talk about it? Where? How are we going to deal with it? So this is how the story goes. and uh, It was a running joke between them. Rather than stealing moments, as most illicit lovers do, Dinah and Zach met every Thursday afternoon for a happy hour that started in a bar and ended between the bedsheets before she went home to her husband and six-year-old daughter. There were no fake out-of-town meetings, no side door entrances and sequenced exits, just months of clockwork coupling. She says, I always felt on guard, but we could plausibly be seen in public because we were coworkers." Dinah says, she's 36. Eventually, the irony of smuggled sex on a schedule hit her so hard, it forced her self-examination. The irony that I am smuggling sex on a schedule, and we'll see what that means in a minute. She she hadn't been looking for love, even after eight years of marriage. Catch this. She and her husband were committed partners. You understand? They're considering, considering herself a committed partner while doing this. As the manager of a Denver law firm, she had spent a lot of time breaking in the new young associate. This is what she says. She says, intimacy was established working together. The opportunity was mine for the taking, she says. I was able to make a very selfish personal choice in which I felt completely in control. Being wanted felt so invigorating. Being a wife and mother had begun to define me. Eight months in, she revealed the affair to her husband and ended it. Those so things were awkward. I definitely spent a few nights on the couch. He cried some. We didn't want to speak to each other for a while. I was, in, I was in mourning, missing something I really enjoyed with somebody I really cared about. I was also mourning the loss of who I got to be for a time. I'd felt like a whole person, a woman who was also vivacious and attractive and sexual. And suddenly, I had been put back on the shelf. She only had to rein herself in, but do it graciously because I was lucky to still have a marriage, she says. So the two scheduled a session of therapy. They felt felt like they needed a moderator in order to talk freely. The feeling of not being a desirable woman anymore, that's on me, she says. How could I communicate that to my husband so that we could make our relationship better? I I I wanted that feeling with him. So she did for the marriage what she had done for the affair. Catch this. Let me say it again. So she did for the marriage what she had done for the affair. We put sex and dating on the schedule. After all, I had been fine with that in the affair, even waiting for it and looking forward to it. She got caught up in a relationship because she was willing to do something in a relationship she wasn't even willing to do in her marriage. And then she realized, why don't I just do that in my marriage? She says she never liked the secrecy of the affair, but she has few regrets about the affair. I expected I would feel worse than I did. I don't consider myself a psychopath. I wonder why I didn't have an overwhelming sense of guilt. Now, later on in the article, it says this. This is at the street level, a number of forces inside and outside of relationships are shaping the current state of affairs. In other words, there are literally cultural forces that are pushing on us all the time. How many know that the spirit of the air does not want our marriages to succeed? How many of you know there are spiritual forces in this world that are pushing for our marriages to fail? That is the cultural state of awareness. That is the cultural state in which we live, in which we're faced. Both men and women are cheating. Why? Because they can. They have more opportunities than ever, and they don't necessarily intend to leave their marriage. They work closely together. They travel together. And technology has made marriages, indeed all institutions, more porous than ever, with seductive channels of, commun- of connection ever open to others outside. In the endless struggle, people wage against autonomy and commitment sometimes an extramarital fling is just something for oneself, a moment of pleasure, especially in a culture that values narcissism. You hear what the article just said? So we're literally in the middle of a social experiment. Jordan Peterson pulls this out, if you ever listen to him. He says, listen, we're in a social experiment that for thousands of years we have not been in. For thousands of years, for technological reasons, men and women have not mixed daily in the workplace. We are mixed, men and women, in culture and society like we have never been mixed in the history of mankind. And it is causing all of these things to come about. How do we know? Because now we have women doing things at the same level men are doing them. Breaking marriages apart. Seeking after. Why? Because the opportunity is there. Is that a bad thing? I don't know. All I know, it is is a bad thing when this tears apart. How do we live in where we've been put, in the place we've been put, according to the Word of God? And what hits me, as, as a result of it, is the value we have in our culture is not others, but self. That's what narcissism is. I'm living for myself. If I'm living for myself, then why not? So... 68% – 68% – now here's what hits me about this. We live in this culture where, where this is what this we say, it's, everything goes is okay. 68% of all singles in America today approve of consensual non-monogamy or polyamory. That means having multiple partners, multiple relationships. 68% of singles in this country today approve of this lifestyle. But catch this. Catch this. Only 6% would ever engage in it, they say. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that fascinating? What is it? We, on the outside, we want to be all liberal. We want to be all, everything goes, all it's okay. Just don't do that to me. Oh, don't, don't make that my relationship. Oh, but I'm okay with it. It's all good. You know, it's good for you. It's okay. You better not do that in my relationship. I wonder why. Why feel so strong about it? Why is it okay for everybody else and not you? What's really going on underneath? This, uh, the author, Fisher, doesn't see uh, um, that this mindset is going to displace. Why? Because the emotional pain wrought by secrecy and feelings of betrayal is an undeniable consequence of, fidel- of infidelity once it's revealed, and, a- and affairs hurt non-partners as much as they ever had. You catch what the article just said? As liberal as we want to make society, as much as we say what's free is free, we can do what we want, we can live where we want. When it happens to you, it hurts. And you know for a fact if you did it to someone else, it's going to hurt them. We were created in the image of God whether we want to admit it or not. The fact is we can deny it by saying all is good, but the reality is we live in it even while denying it. We live in the truth of the Word of God. It's wrong, even while denying it. Anybody can do what they want. Just don't do it to me. Isn't that fascinating? Now, guys, that gives us a huge opportunity. Because if we look at the 68%, we go, oh my goodness, how much of an insurmountable mountain do we have to overcome? How are we going to overcome the 68%? This is on everything. This is in the TVs. This is in the songs. This is in our movies. This is what people read. It's what they learn in school. How are we going to overcome? Even the people that see it know the truth. And we have the truth. All we have to do is awaken that truth. The Spirit of God will work through us. And it will start when we do whatever it takes to protect our marriages. When we live the truth of the word of God in our marriages, it will change. Because people will see what it does. So can we do this? Can we spend a few minutes looking at what what some of the things we can do to protect our marriages? Can we do that? Now, I want to say some of us are sitting here saying, but I'm not married, or I'm not in a relationship. Well, some of us, we might be. Others of us, that what's fascinating about these things that protect our marriage, they, just, they protect us against sin, period. All of these principles are going to apply in our lives. It doesn't matter what. Number three, all of us know people that are married. And it is important for yours, your life and your flourishing, as much as it is for mine, that we promote what is right for marriage for everyone, period. You see, that mindset that says, well, you know, I'm going to check out because this is all about marriage, so it's not really about me. I'm going to tell you that's literally the narcissism we live in because if it's not about me, I don't need to listen. The part of overcoming that culture is to overcome that culture. Say, what is it God wants to speak to me through this regardless of where I am in this moment? Amen? All right. So biblical marriage, lifetime covenant Uh, 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 Of companionship we enter into it's before god. It's one man. It's one woman All right So what i'm going to do is i'm going to take this paragraph this one paragraph from that story where she gave all the reasons Why she was got into this relationship and we're going to break them down And we're going to see how can we use those reasons as a means for protecting our marriages our families Number one, she said intimacy was established in the workplace So she's in this workplace and so these are all the reasons we're going to look through um, but the first one is intimacy was established in the workplace. And so um, uh, what, what is our response to that? Well, what did we say? Covenantal companionship involves what? Intimacy. So I need to guard intimacy. If I'm in the workplace and people I have to work close to, I need to guard intimacy. Now, what does that mean? Practically, how do I guard intimacy? I'll tell you what. Number one, be brutally honest to discuss your opposite-sex relationships with your spouse. Hey, Diane, that's my spouse, my wife. Diane, hey, I got a call from this person. This This is a woman, and they were asking for help with this or help with that. What's your sense? How do you feel about that? Are you okay with this? Be brutally honest about those relationships. If you're not, if right now you're hearing that and there's a relationship you're guarding in your heart, you don't want your spouse to know about, that's probably the time you need to bring that to Jesus. Number two, quickly bring to Jesus, quickly bring Jesus and your spouse into personal conversations. When you're in personal conversations with someone, anyone, look, here's the goal. If I see another person, I go, that person was created in the image of God. Do I have, how can I represent Jesus to that person? When I see that person in that way and I'm thinking, can I share the gospel with that person? Can my life in this work relationship demonstrate the gospel? Am I doing anything in this relationship that would take that person away from the gospel? Ultimately that would keep that person in the state of death or hell. I need to not do that. If I quickly bring Jesus into that conversation, I quickly bring my spouse into that conversation, I'm putting up that prejudice of protection and I'm honoring that covenant relationship. Number three, never speak badly about your spouse in front of others, especially if they're present. Never speak badly. Why? Because the moment you speak, there's multiple things besides the fact it tears them down. The moment you speak badly, you're telling someone else there's an opportunity. The moment you speak badly, you're saying, hey, there's a window. There's a way in. Number four, get help to improve your marriage. Now, I love this quote from that that article I read earlier. It said this. It said, despite their expectations for intimacy, many people cheat because directly asking a regular sex partner for what they want, especially sexually, and, um, and even defining what infidelity is seems too icky. And that's, a, that's a, um, uh, an academic word, icky. What do you just say? Here's this person you've covenanted with with life. Here's this person you're living in the most intimate relationships. And we have the absolute hardest time talking about the most intimate subjects with the person we're supposed to be closest to. That's a fact. Far too often we end up in intimate relationships with other people because we open up talking about things we won't even talk to our spouse about. Well, what do we do about that? This is a, this is a um, couples should seek couples counseling before those problems emerge. Research has shown that couples who seek early, uh, seek help early, have the best chance of lasting and thriving even through difficult times. The Gottman, Dr. Gottman says this. He says most couples, most couples seek help six years after they've begun to have problems. And then we wonder why the problem's there. And then we go to counseling for six months ago. That didn't help. Well, you've got six years of bitterness that you've built up. How about we do this the other way around? I can't tell you how many times. I've done hours and hours of marriage counseling and pre-marriage counseling. Hours and hours. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've had the couple come in and sit down because I require it. It's like, look, if you, if you want me to do uh, the ceremony, I'm literally more interested in the day after the wedding than the day of. In other words, the rest of your life. So we're going to spend some time talking together. And I've had people say, you know, and I ask them straight up. Be truthful and honest with me. It's not going to hurt my feelings. I already know what most people think. It's okay. You know, what do you think you're going to get out of this? And a lot of them go, <laughs> nothing. We got to do it because you want us to do it. By the time we're done, they go, oh, my goodness. You don't know what you don't know because you don't know it. The problem is is that affects that person you've committed to intimacy with you don't know what you don't know because you don't know it the problem is that affects the person you're trying to be intimate with there is nothing shameful about getting help listen we get help about everything we don't know how to do youtube's made a living off of that anything we don't know how to do And yet we automatically assume that we know all these things. Yet how many of us have had an intimate conversation about sex with our partner? Number two. The opportunity was mine for the taking, she says. Jesus says this. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust, lustful intent has already committed adultery with her and his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. If you want to guard and protect your relationships. There's going to be opportunities. There's going to be all of them. You have to see them as fire and not opportunity. You have to understand that adultery doesn't begin between the sheets. It begins in here. That's what Jesus just said. It begins with, the, I'm, 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 I'm thinking about it. I'm planning it out. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to figure out how can we make this happen. So the protection comes back there. Not when that opportunity comes up and it says, hey, here it is. What are you going to do now? So if we want to protect our marriages, we need to stop it when it's in here before it gets out here. Amen? All right, the next one. I was able to make a very selfish personal choice. I was able to make a very selfish personal choice. Here's what James writes to us. He says this. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. There was a, um, there was a show a long time ago uh, called Laughing. Anybody heard of Laugh-In? Everybody ever seen Laugh-In? Yeah, you're all old. Anyway, <laughs> and me, I, I saw it on YouTube, so that's how I know about it. <laughs> um, and it was the, there was a, there was a, a guy um, that, remember the, the, the whole thing about it? it was the devil made me do it? The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. What James says is God tempts no one. There is no temptation that comes from God. Temptation doesn't come from. Where does it come from? It comes because it bubbles up in your own soul and you want it. You desire it. It was a, she admits it, it was a very selfish personal choice. I wanted it. If we're going to beat this, we need to recognize we will have that selfish personal choice. We are depraved people to think that you are stronger than that. You are bigger than that. You are outside of that. Sets you up to fall. Desire will have its way in you. If you know it, then you can say no to it. You can recognize it for what it is. Um, Let me put it a different way. This is from Dr. Larry Crabb. Uh, Somebody sent me this video. He says, it's the call to relational holiness. It's the call to relational holiness. What is relational holiness? Uh, um, So I I suggest, get the video, it's on YouTube, watch the whole thing. But there's two little points I want to make. And he says, this is what stops relational holiness. Relational holiness is when when you understand that your relationships in your life are holy. They're sacrosanct. there's There's a sanctity to them. A sanctity we have to guard and protect. Here's the two, he says, these are two things that stop it. Number one, a willful blindness to our impact on others our willful blindness to our impact on others. When we allow that desire to grow up in us and we begin to chase after it, what we're doing is willfully not realizing what we're doing to someone else. We're willfully not realizing what we are doing to someone else. We are willfully, he goes on and he calls it this, he goes, a stubborn inattention to exploring our immediate impact on someone as we relate. We're literally being stubborn in realizing what we're doing to someone else. See, this applies to all of us and all of our behaviors. There's a, the, uh, uh, there's a book. It's out by Dr. Mary Neal. She's a physician. She died. She, had a, uh, um, she, she saw Jesus, and she came back, and she said this. She says one of the things that she saw in her few minutes that she had on the other side before she came back is the, is the Lord allowed her to see the impact she had on other people. She said, literally, my behaviors, I saw what was happening 25 people away. She said, she, I, I read her book, and what she says in her book, she says, like, it's like if you picture a stone falling down into the bottom of a pond, I mean, it takes a second for that stone to get to the bottom. Bam! But those ripples keep going and keep going and keep going. There's a rabbi uh, um, who, who shared a story like this. He said this. He said, if um, we question why hell is eternal, how can he, there be such thing as eternal punishment? And he said, look, if I have an apple in my hand, how many apples do I have? This is not, this is not high math here. You can figure it out. I got one, right? If I cut that apple in half and I open it up and I look inside, what's in the core? Seeds. So if I take those seeds out and I plant those seeds in the ground and, and I get, you know, three, four, five trees that grow up, how many apples do I have now? Well, in a couple of generations, I can't count all the apples I have. He said, listen, in in what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden, literally, that was the seed that contained every wicked, insidious, hideous sin that has ever been committed. That was the seed of it. Why do we think ours is any less? Why do we think ours is any less? You see... Here's the thing, every one of us have said this, if only I was in the garden, we wouldn't be having these problems, because I wouldn't have done what Adam, the fact is, any one of us would have stand there, we would have done the same thing. How do I know? How do I know? Because there was a second Adam, and when the second Adam came, what did he do? His bride, his bride had eaten of the fruit, and instead of eating of the fruit himself, and he was tempted, go check it out, check the beginning of Luke, he's tempted three times, the other gospels as well, he was tempted, but what did he do? Instead, he stepped in front of his bride, and he says, I'll take that. He interceded on behalf of his bride. Now, Jesus, as a result, gives every single one of us the opportunity we claim we want. We say we wish we were Adam. We say we wish we were Eve. We have that opportunity. What's that opportunity? We have the opportunity right now to step in front of our brother, our sister, our spouse, our children, and intercede on their behalf, as Christ did. You say you wish you would do, you would do something different in the garden. We have the opportunity every day. The next one, I felt completely in control. It's fascinating to me uh, because we always feel in control. But 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 the Lord, when He's talking to Cain. He says, right now, you're all angry, and you think, and I'm paraphrasing here. He says, you think that you're in control of it. He says, listen, he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is contrary to you. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. In other words, if you give in to sin, you think you're controlling it, but it's controlling you. It will rule over you. Proverbs tells us, adultery destroys the one committing it. He who commits adultery lacks sense, and he who does it destroys himself now what's fascinating here and this one to me is this is that every all other sins we're told to resist right anybody read James it says um uh submit yourselves to God resist the devil and he will flee from you that's what we're told all other sins we're told resist resist stand this sin flee flee don't resist flee 1 Corinthians 6.16, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. 2 Timothy 2.12. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. Fascinating to me. Oh, I was in control. You were? Sounds like it was controlling you. All right, the next one. Being wanted felt so invigorating. Can I ta- guys? I get that. That's real. Which one of us doesn't want to be wanted? Which one of us wants to be in a relationship and feel unwanted? That hurts. How do we deal with that? That's real. We shouldn't just sit back and glibly say, well, you know, just give your life to Jesus. We need to meet people with where they are. If we want to see them free... We need to feel the feelings they're feeling. Look, you can't give in to the temptation, but you can admit what you're going through. This is what the Scripture says. I've got an answer for this, and I'm going to give the answer from Scripture. And it's going to sound like an uncompassionate answer. It's going to sound uncompassionate, and I promise you it is extremely compassionate. So stick with it for a second. I'm only going to read part of it. You can go back. It starts in Luke 6:32, but I'm going to start 6:35. It says this: "But love your enemies and do good and lend." What? Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is the he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. God is kind to all of us. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Not the meanness of God. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And he's telling us, if someone is your enemy, do good. He goes on and says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and it will be put back in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So what does this have to do if I'm feeling unwanted? If you're feeling unwanted, then make someone else feel wanted. If you're feeling unwanted, then make someone else feel wanted. Give the kindness of God, and God will return to you that kindness to you. If you're feeling unwanted, tell him that unwantedness and ask him how you can make someone else feel wanted. That seems incompassionate, but I'm telling you, the kingdom of God is upside down. It doesn't operate the world like the world does. If you want the, the fullness of the principles of the kingdom of God, you have to do things different than the world. It's give in order to receive. If you're feeling unwanted right now, ask God how you can help someone else feel wanted. All right. Um, Where am I? The last one. Being a wife and a mother had begun to define me. This is another one I feel for. I mean, some of us will hear that right away. Well, what's wrong with being a wife and a mother? I like being a mother. The Bible says you're supposed to be a wife and a mother. Don't go there. Don't go there. Because all of her culture that she's living in is telling her there's something wrong with her for doing it. Is there something wrong with it? No. Is there great fulfillment in it? Yes. But guess what? It's no more your identity than anything is our identity. Christ is our identity. So how do we bring her to the place of having an identity? How do we preserve and protect our marriages? Look, as parents, as spouses, how many times have we gone, oh my goodness, I'm so frustrated right now. Maybe that never happens in your house. It happened once in mine. Yeah, a few people heard that. Jesus says this, Come unto me, all ye who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you'll find rest for yourselves. When you're weary, he's the one that gives us rest. You want to protect your marriage? Go to Jesus. Find your rest in him. He will give you all that you need to be for your identity. He will build you all up in the things that he's called you to do and participate in. So, intimacy was established in working together. You find intimacy in your relationship and you protect and guard that intimacy. The opportunity was mine for the taking. You cut off all opportunities. You see that those opportunities are there to, to take you, not you to take them. I was able to make a very selfish personal choice. That's not sacrificial love. Sacrificial love is laying my choices down on behalf of, the, of others. I felt completely in control. That's a lie. You're in control until he controls you. Being wanted being wanted, felt so invigorating. God wants you. How much? This much. This much. Being a wife and mother had begun to define me. Come unto Jesus, all who are weary and heavy laden. Final words to close us. Adultery is not the unforgivable sin, guys. It's not the unforgivable sin. Anybody ever heard of David? About Bathsheba? What it took was repentance. But when he realized what he had done, he had fell down before the Lord. And he was able to speak the words, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly of my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Jesus wants to wash us and cleanse us. He wants to set us free. You dealt with infidelity. You dealt with struggling with lust. You dealt with these things. It's not the unforgivable sin. Bring it to Jesus. He wants to wash us. He wants to cleanse us. One of our heroes in the Bible dealt with the same thing. He said he was a man after God's own heart. Bring it to Jesus. And remember this. Jesus stood up and said to her, who? The woman that was just caught in the middle of it. The woman who was just caught in the middle of it, laying at his feet, weeping, fearing for her life. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. This is not a condemnation message, guys. This is a freedom message. Jesus doesn't condemn us. There There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He wants to protect us. He wants to free us. He wants us to flourish. He wants intimacy in our lives. He wants it to start with him and to spread out to those closest to us. This is a freedom message. This is a message the world needs. This is a message if we live, they'll see. They already know it. They already know it. Not in my marriage. They're just looking for someone to show it. Show it. Amen. Father, we bless you. Step on. We thank you for these few moments we've had to open your word together. Father, you have created. You are the God who created sexual intimacy. It is your delight and joy. May we embrace that delight and joy within the bounds you've given it to us. May we grow in intimacy with our spouses so that it becomes the beauty that it is. And may we learn, may we do all it takes to protect that and to keep that. And Father, if there are those here today who who are struggling, who have gone through this, who have experienced this, may they know that you are here to wash them, to cleanse them. You do not condemn them. You are here to set them free. You are here to release them. Help us, Lord. Help us to walk in the wholeness of this. Help us to confess our sins before you. Why? That we may be cleansed and made righteous. Help us to take those steps to protect. Not just to protect, to build before they happen. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Thank you all.